Hey, Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may not have heard of. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I enjoy the way that you try and vary how you say that <laughs> line every single week. Variety is the spice of life, so yeah, they say. So they say. <laughs> Speaking of variety, what have you been up to? Other than watching Netflix. Other than wearing a wife beater like Ryan Atwood from the OC, <laughs> which is what Dan is wearing right now. That is what I'm wearing right now. And I, yeah, I specifically bought this to look like Ryan from the OC. Did you actually? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, but I was quite happy that I did. But yeah. I, I kind of just bought like a, a set of vests and this was one in there. I was like, ooh, that's a Ryan one. A ve- the fact that you bought a set of vests, this just makes <laughs> you so old. Like, But though I did buy the other day some of those like shorts that go underneath skirts so you don't get like chub rub (laughs) they're specifically like not just regular shorts they're like breathable shorts and it made me feel a bit like a granny but it also improved my life like 200 percent. and see exactly and that's that's you know what are you gonna gonna do about it (laughs) i'm past the point of wanting to be cool or I do want to, or I do want to be cool, like temperature wise. That's why. Temperature wise, it's the best. <laughs> Maybe that was Ryan. That was thing. Maybe he was like, "Look, we're in California. Of course, I'm wearing a fucking vest. Like, it's hot, yeah." And also, he was old. He was like thirty-five. Yeah, they were all like thirty. Well, actually, no, Marissa, as in Misha Barton, she was like seventeen or something yeah. in the first one, wasn't she? Yeah. Or eighteen or something. Oh, here's a fun celebrity fact. Have you seen Firefly, the series Firefly? No. Or, I've or the subsequent film, Serenity? No. Well, it's brilliant. You should watch it. I think you'd really enjoy it. It's obviously Joss Whedon's uh, Space Cowboy series that unjustly was ripped from us only like half a season in. Anyway, the kind of character for, a character from that is a... She's like a companion, is what they yeah. call her. Um, <laughs> and but that... Uh, that character, the, the actress that plays her, is in a relationship with the guy who plays Ryan Atwood, Ben McKenzie. Really? So when I saw this on Instagram, I was like, oh my god, how did they, uh, what, how did Firefly and the OC like come together? <laughs> it's such a wonderful thing to behold. And it turns out that obviously they were in, I think, Gotham together. Gotham is awesome. Or, well, yeah. yeah. So she's in that, you'd probably recognise her. Um, yeah, I love a good weird celebrity coupling, and I'm like, hey, that was a thing, or this is a thing. Like, what? How did that? He hasn't aged a day. He looks exactly the same in Gotham as he did in like I see. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. He's like, um, you know who the other celebrity that that looks exactly the same is Paul Rudd. Oh yeah, yeah. He's... He is the same every single day of his life. <laughs> but my best friends are both called Paul. And it's oh yeah. Very very confusing. Um, the pools um, of one good thing podcast, by the way, a little plug there. Um, two pools doing one, but podcast. one of them lives in Australia now, so it's a little bit easier to differentiate <laughs> um, in that respect. But when they were living together, it was very confusing. Do you call one Australian pool? No, we call one Goodman because it's ah. the surname. But at one point, all three of us were living together. So I lived with Paul in a flat in, um, yeah, in, like kind of near. Holloway yeah and um <laughs> and then Goodman came to stay with us for a bit and so at one point there were two pools in the house and they started calling me Lady Paul <laughs> <laughs> hey Lady Paul and I was like that's not even anywhere near my name <sighs> I think uh that should that should have stuck that's what I'm gonna call you from now on Lady Paul <laughs> but no no one will get the joke apart from Paul <laughs> 
I watched a film called The Assistant. Have you heard of this? It came out like this year. And I think it was one of the ones that like didn't get cinema release because it was the wrong timing. Uh, I don't think I have heard of it. It was also quite a small oh. film. It was a, It's about... It's like a 24 hours in the a day in the life of someone who is an assistant in some sort of film industry office mm. and how she kind of witnesses like the kind of casting couch thing that's going on like with mm. her the person who she's the assistant to is like got these pretty girls like coming in and auditioning and yeah, that okay. kind of stuff yeah, yeah. and she gets kind of like worked up about it and people were saying like well she's gonna get more out of it than he is don't worry about it like kind of thing like and she's like doesn't know what to do about it but really it's it's one of those films that's like it's not like bombshell where like shit hits the fan yeah because she's like there's just this low level assistant it's more like a very like oh well there's nothing she can do about it so she just carries on with her life film and shit well yeah like, just grim things are happening around and she's just like well, what's she's kind of like concerned about it but yeah. she also realizes there's nothing she can do about it yeah i guess that kind of like sums up uh the whole situation doesn't it really Yep. Well, I've been watching uh, the new, the remake, the reboot, whatever you call it, of Perry Mason. Oh, okay. It's actually is really it, good. Is it it's good? It's like gritty and like very noiry, and uh, it's got the guy from um, the Americans, Matthew Reese, in it, who also produces, I think. Um, and he's just fantastic. He's a fantastic actor. You're just going. You're going off from the Americans. You're like following all the actors. Yeah, like, yeah. I just need my Americans. The Americans. <laughs> We were just talking about that yesterday. Like, we? like if it, if there's anything comes out with the, like any of the main cast from the Americans, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. I don't care. And then we found that we were like, okay, we're gonna have to watch it. We already made this promise to the gods. To of the gods entertainment. of Netflix. <laughs> Who would be yeah. the god of Netflix? Is there a god of entertainment? There's Dionysus is the god of wine and music and women or something, right? Yeah. So maybe it's Dionysus. Yeah, that's kind of close enough, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think, don't think there's anything that's like <laughs> the god of screen. <laughs> Is there a god of theatre? The I think masks, that would fall under Dionysus, right? Because he's yeah. like music and wine and stuff. And, and chaos, I think, as well. Yeah, those things will go together. Yeah. So almost like a god of gigs then. God yeah. of gigs. <laughs> we should open a club called the Dionysus. I bet there's loads of clubs called that. Are there though, Dan? Are there? Is anyone <laughs> as much of a geek as, as we are? Because they were all called things like, I don't know, The Box or like something short that people can be like, yeah, meet me at The Box, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> According to Google, it would be Dionysus. Yes, I'm correct. That's the, uh, that would be the one. I love being correct about Greek gods. It's <laughs> my favourite. Uh, I do. Did you have you been to the pub? I have not been to the pub. I went to a uh, restaurant though. Oh really, yeah. Pasha? I went to get some Taiwanese <laughs> food on Saturday, and it was goddamn magical. Was it packed? There was quite a few people there actually. I mean, like, like I think by the time we left, every table was like not fit, like occupied, not filled. There wasn't actually that many people. They weren't like allowing that many people in, but yeah. Um, but every table was full. like someone got turned away just as we were leaving because they had to, you know, they didn't have the space and they would have had to like clean up our table with all the, all the things, all the, all the chemicals, <laughs> all that good chemical action. Yeah. Plus, I am a really like messy eater, so that it was quite. The table was quite messy. <laughs> we got like noodle soup and, and stuff. And that's like, how Dan was banned 
from the Taiwanese <laughs> restaurant. We went to a pub and got like a takeaway beer mm. and stood like, so we went to sit in the park and they've temporarily banned drinking in this particular park that we went to sit mm. in. Yeah, so we stood on the other side of the railings, <laughs> just on the street. And I was like, how is me standing on the street drinking this bit better than me sitting in the park? <laughs> was really good. Like, I'm not going to take a piss, I promise you, officer. Like, because a policeman came up to us. I was like, you can't do that here. That's crazy. And just... I was like, so I just got to stand on the street. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Just go stand there. And I'm like, so I can piss on the street. But I... like, because their problem is like people, yeah, going for a piss. Okay. And leaving their litter and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, do I look like the sort of person that's just going to whip out my badge and go for a pit? <laughs> Maybe but I, I mean, do. Like, Who knows? Maybe I am. People would do that anyway if they were just in the park. Also, the toilets are open now. They've opened the toilets. Oh, okay. So what is their problem? Yeah. Anyway, let's, not, let's not dwell on it. I got my beer. Maybe I just thought it would like, it'd get packed out. Like Soho, if you've seen the videos of Soho, just oh, madness. Oh my god, people, madness. don't go to Soho. I mean, just don't go there in <laughs> <Yeah>. general. <laughs> but like... It's a terrible place to drink. Shall we stop rambling and talk about history? Yes. <laughs> As Let's do it. people have tuned in to hear about history. <laughs> or maybe they haven't. Maybe this is where they turn off. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know on Twitter. I don't have a person this week. I have people. <gasps> I'm cheating. Oh my god! But I wanted to do a person, but like, w- like what? Annoyingly, like one of their lives just wasn't enough to fill the episode. It was kind okay. of. Okay, I think that's okay. I think we can branch out into, as long as it fits into the sentence. Have you ever heard of? Then yeah, surely it's fine. They're a they're a double act anyway. Okay, a double act. <laughs> double act. Have you ever heard of Bonnie and Clyde? Yay! Of course I have. <laughs> Everyone but I knew has. we were gonna do this one at some point. <laughs> So I'm happy. Originally, I was just going to do Bonnie Parker, but um, yeah, they do. She doesn't really do enough to like fill the. Yeah, I have. I've read slash seen quite a bit of stuff about them. Yeah, you don't really have much before they meet. Yeah, because they met quite young, so I guess it kind of. Yeah. And then she's like, "Oh, we'll find out." I won't give any spoilers. Let's start at the beginning. uh, Let's start from the beginning. (laughs) So, let's start with Bonnie. Okay. So, Bonnie was born on the 1st of October, 1910, in uh, Rowena, Texas. Mm. Uh, I had a housemate called Rowena, so, yeah. Was her surname Texas? It was not. It was... (laughs) What was her surname? Probably don't say that on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, To to Charles, uh, a bricklayer, and Emma Parker... So, uh, tragedy st- struck her early. Her father died when she was only four. Oh, no. Free grim. But, I mean, like, Sweet. it was the early 20th century, and the early 20th century did suck. Oh, sweetie. Suck for poor people. Uh, so, Emma moved them back to her family home in uh, Cement City. Cement City, an industrial suburb in West Dallas. I mean, like, that you is... You can't make most... that up. Yeah, it's that. like... That is the most industrial suburb of all time. Yeah, cement city. The so concrete, there, the literal concrete jungle. <laughs> so there, her mother works as a seamstress to support the two of them. Um, so yeah, not really a place, you know, with much in the way of opportunities, really. Um, so unfortunately for her, uh, Bonnie was 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 a very bright young person. 
Uh, above all, she was she was very creative. She was a really talented creative writer, uh, writer, and had a flair flair for poetry. However, there wasn't really yeah, she wasn't really going to be able to do much with that in Cement City. So <laughs> she dropped out of school in 1926, uh, along with her classmate Roy Thornton, and they married on the 25th of September of the same year, six days before her 16th birthday. Yeah, that's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> Maybe I mean, her mum guess... said yes. Or even if her mum says yes, I think you have to be 16, right? I mean, like, it's 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 the deep south in America, so, I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe anything goes there. Yeah, or maybe this, yeah, maybe back in the day there wasn't this law. But still, yeah. that's <sighs> madness. Uh, so, young Roy was frequently absent. Uh, but when he was around, the two would engage in crime. I can't really find out what crime it was. I'm guessing it was kind of just Engaging more like... Engage in crime. Pe- petty crime, probably. Just like thefts and stuff. I don't think they were like going around. Yeah. But then again, Roy Thornton was jailed for murder in January 1929. So he definitely engaged in a bit of the murdering. But I don't know if she did Do you know time. who he killed? No, I couldn't find anything on that. I guess if I dug a bit deep, I probably could have, but... Yeah, I mean, I it's don't. not about him, is it? Yeah. So... Um, so Although they never divorced, after he went to jail, uh, their paths never crossed again. Um, so after that, after uh, Thornton's jailing, Bonnie moved back to in with her mother in Dallas and worked as a waitress. Yeah, not kind of like, kind of not the sort of thing she'd want to do, I don't think, with all her creative writing talents and big dreams. Um <laughs> So Bonnie briefly kept a diary uh, in 1929, and she wrote really? of her loneliness. Yeah, mm. it's only like for like a few months, I think. But she wrote well, of her... the old Eva Braun story. Yeah, a few months ago, diary. Um, she wrote of her loneliness, her frustration with life in Dallas, and her love of the talkies. Them talkies. Um. So yeah, she was clearly a bright girl who was dealt a dud hand, and due to her class and her gender she believed she had no hope and no outlet for her potential so i mean she's probably right yeah a typical recipe really for criminality and delinquency in inverted commas so in sir clyde uh sir clyde was born in 1909 to a poor farming family in ellis county texas uh southeast dallas um okay so the family moved to dallas in the early 1920s uh, as part of the uh, uh, migration pattern of the time from rural areas to the city where many settled in the urban slums of West Dallas. So the Barrels spent their first few months in West Dallas living uh, under their wagon until they got enough money to buy a tent. Oh my God, they lived under a wagon. Yeah. And then they, they upgraded to a tent. One singular tent. I wonder if it was oh, like, man. I imagine like a bell tent, you know, those white ones that are kind of like a wigwam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's Even still, yeah. though, yeah. So, Clyde was first arrested in late 1926 at the age of just 17. Police confronted him over a rental car that he'd failed to return on time. I mean, like, who's renting a car to a 17-year-old? Yeah. That's what I want to know. I mean, someone in the South, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his second arrest was with his brother, Buck Barrow. <laughs> uh, Buck. Wait, Buck Barrow. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> soon after the first crime, for possession of stolen turkeys. What? What, oh, alive yeah, yeah. turkeys or dead turkeys? I'm not sure. I think they're alive. 
That's they started hilarious. up like he when he, he just went in hard. Started off in the big time, <laughs> kidnapping turkeys. I mean, um, like you, you're probably going to get caught if you're still loaded turkeys because they're not the most like you can't hide them in a briefcase. Yeah, yeah like, you know you can't stealth just yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not a stealthy so... job that one. <laughs> oh dear. So uh, Clyde had some legitimate jobs after that uh, during 1927 through to 1929. But at the same time, he also cracked safes, uh, robbed stores, and stole cars. So he was uh, the big well in there, well in there in the criminal world. Um, so there are several existing accounts about how Bonnie and Clyde met. Um, the one considered most credible by historians places their meeting on January the 5th, 1930, at the home of Clyde's friend, Clarence Clay. They've all got such great names. Clarence Clay. Yeah. Are you making this up? Are you making no, these names like, up? This is Cement just basically... Town, Clarence Clay. What was the other one? Buckbarrow. It's just like an actual, like... It's like a, it's like the Beano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, at 105 Herbert Street, West Dallas. <laughs> so Clyde was only 20 at the time. Bonnie just 19. So Clay was apparently living with a friend of Bonnie's who had recently suffered a broken arm. So Bonnie, being out of work at the time, was staying to help take care of her. Clyde dropped round while Bonnie was making hot chocolate in the kitchen, and the pair were immediately smitten. Oh, I mean, that like... would be quite sweet if we didn't know how this all ended up. Yeah, they, they just go down a path of destruction. Um, <laughs> The two spent the following weeks together before Clyde was arrested and sent to Eastern Prison Farm uh, in April 1930 for auto theft. So good start to the relationship there. Great start. Um, uh, so Clyde didn't have a very good time of it in prison. Uh, his sister said something awful sure must have happened to him in prison because he wasn't the same person when he got out. I mean, he still he was already a guy that was just kind of like cracking space. But I guess I mean like he wasn't really a violent criminal by this point. Hmm. Um, fellow inmate Ralph Fultz, who would later join the uh, the gang, um, said he watched Clyde change from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake. Apparently, Clyde was repeatedly sexually assaulted while in prison, and he mm. retaliated by attacking and killing his tormentor with a lead pipe, crushing his skull. That was his first murder. Oh my god! What in prison? Yeah, but did he not get done for murder in prison? No, because another inmate who was already serving a life sentence anyway claimed responsibility. Oh, yeah, I heard that happens. Mm. <laughs> she says with, like, only very minimal <laughs> knowledge of, you know, what happens in prison. I mean, I've seen sure... all of Bad Girls and that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm not sure why, though. I mean, like, is it just like, is it, well, I mean, like, I guess, like, they're already, You're already serving, serving a life it, sentence. So it's, it's fine. You're already in but... there. But I mean, like, it's quite a nice thing. I give, I'd be quite pissed off if I was there. I wouldn't be like, oh, it's all right, mate. Like, I'll just take it. I'm, I'm in here anyway. I'd be like, well, no. Well, I want like more people to stay or in. Like, or 20. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe they want to give him another, like, shot of life. I don't know. Another a murderer with empathy. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I want to hear about that guy. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, this is why he was granted parole on the 2nd of February 1932 after his mother successfully petitioned for his release. He's a good boy, really. He's a good boy. Let him out. Well, maybe not the best idea. Because immediately after release, Clyde and Fultz started engaging in armed robbery. 
primarily of mum and pop stores and gas stations. So hardly robbing from the rich, just robbing from small businesses. Yeah, I mean, that's, but that's how cool. do you... I guess, like, it's almost the easiest way to go, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, if you play Grand Theft Auto, the first crime you commit is always robbing a store. Damn. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Exactly the Pretty same. Pretty much exactly. <laughs> you are as bad as Bonnie and Clyde. So, apparently, Clyde's plan was to get to enough... Get, uh, was to get together enough cash and firepower to launch a full-scale assault on Eastern Prison Farm, the prison he was at. Um, possibly <laughs> possibly to bust out some mates he'd made while uh, incarcerated, or perhaps as some form of revenge against whatever had happened inside. So, Bonnie joined the uh, gang, I guess. I mean, like, I'm not really sure if you're like... You can really say that she joined the gang, but she's, all, like, I, a, I, she's like a wag. Yeah, basically, yeah, like a mole, a mole. Is that the term for what's, it? What's that? I don't know what that means. It's like a gangster's like girl, basically. His girl, so in the nineteen thirties. <laughs> My <accent>. girl. <laughs> like, what, what, yeah, a mole or Molly slang term. Two different. Uh, blah, 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 blah. What is it? A gangster's girlfriend, basically. Oh, okay. A gun Fine. mole. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Ba, ba, ba. So, so yeah, she joined. She joined Clyde anyway on in April, uh, on the uh, April nineteenth, uh, nineteen thirty-two, and then Bonnie was quickly arrested alongside Fultz during a bungled robbery of a hardware store in Kaufman. Uh, here, they'd intended to steal a whole bunch of firearms. So, while Fultz was convicted and served time, never to join rejoin the gang uh, again, uh, the grand jury were unable to con- indict Bonnie for lack of evidence. So she was kind of like involved in that job. Yeah. So I guess she probably did kind of like join full on. Um, on the 5th of August, Clyde killed his first police officer. Sheriff uh, C.G. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene Seymour approached him and his gang in the parking lot of a country dance in Stringtown, Oklahoma. No, a country dance in Stringtown. <laughs> I know, it's just like... <laughs> oh, these names, I love it. This is just like cliche city. Um where the gang were drinking moonshine. Bonnie of course wasn't they were. They, they were, were drinking <laughs> moonshine. So Bonnie wasn't present for this. However, she was present for the next murder. Uh, so... <clears throat> so hang on, they year... killed this police officer. Yeah. And what, ran? Or uh, yeah, they, it was them? They busted on out of there as quickly as possible. Okay. Uh, so... So after this, the... The gang had got another joinee, a W.D. Jones, a childhood family friend of Clyde's. Uh, he was 16 years old. Oh, what are you doing, honey? It's kind of crazy. So on Christmas Day, Jones, along with Clyde, murdered Doyle Johnson, a young family man, while stealing his car in Temple. Oh, Just a guy just trying to get guy, home. Hi, Doyle. On January the 6th, 1933, Bonnie, Clyde and Jones wandered into a police trap set for a different criminal gang. Clyde ended up killing Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis during the ensuing escape. So that's kind of crazy. Just like... They're just they... murdering people and then running and then murdering people and running. Yeah, basically. Like, they were going to like visit a friend of Clyde's, I think. And the police were like looking for a different criminal who they thought was there. And they were kind of went in and they 
interrogated the friend who's just like uh, I can't remember her name, but she turned on like a red light, and she said, oh, "It helps my baby sleep." But it, the red light was meant to be like a sign to say that like it wasn't clear to come in. But then the police like persuaded her to turn it off, so they t- she turned it off. And they'd already seen the red light, like Clyde and the gang. So they kind of like drove around the block and then they came back and then the light was off. So like, oh, okay, it's probably fine. So they went to go in. And then like one of the cops who was like waiting outside, like came and like approached them and they just instantly just opened fire on all of them. And just. That's madness. Yeah. Like if they it were looking crazy. for, so- obviously they didn't know they were looking for someone else, but like. Yeah. But they're just very trigger happy. Yeah. So by this time, the gang had murdered five people. They. Uh, apparently none of these have been committed by Bonnie herself, according to the gang. Um, the gang. So, now we move on to one of their kind of like most um, famous shootouts, essentially. The Oak Ridge Drive shootout. So, uh, on March 22nd, 1933, Clyde's brother Buck, Buck Barrow, superhero guy. What guy? Uh, <laughs> was granted a full pardon and released from prison. I'm not sure how that happened. Um, <laughs> he and his wife, Blanche, joined the gang at 3347.5 Oak Ridge Drive in Joplin, Newton County, Missouri. A tiny little apartment above a garage where the gang were hiding out after their uh, recent space of crimes. You should check it out. It's just tiny. It's just like a, yeah, just like a one. It's like a garage with just like a shitty little apartment above it. Nice. Um, so, so all this Amory... crime isn't really paying, is it? No, not at the moment. Uh, so apparently the gang ran loud, alcohol-fueled card games all hours of the night, going through uh, at least a crate of beers a day. Once by accident, they let off a Browning automatic rifle. So that, that's like the light machine gun that the US Army used during World War II like, while cleaning it. They had one of them just lying around. Just, just hanging out. Uh, so unsurprisingly after that, the neighbours called the cops. So, the police put together a five-man squad in two cars to confront what they suspected were bootleggers. Upon arrival at the apartment, the brothers opened fire on the cops, killing Detective Harry L. McGuinness outright and fatally wounding Constable J.W. Harriman. So, Blanche has written of her time with Bonnie and Clyde and covers this incident in her book. She wrote of uh, Detective Harry L. McGuinness' uh, fate during the shootout. Oh, what a horrible sight to see a human body torn apart like that by a shotgun. I shiver now as I think of it, and I can still see the vision of a man laying there with what looked like his brains blown out and running down his shoulders and onto the ground. It looked as if one arm had been torn off by bullets. All this I saw in just one glance. Ooh, thanks, Blanche. So, of the gang, only... W.D. Jones was wounded, being struck by a bullet in the side. The other two men only received minor grazes from ricochet. So that's a 16-year-old uh, kid. Yeah. Uh, the officers claimed they only fired 14 rounds during the entire shootout, unga- outgunned as they were by the gang's military-grade bar. Why the hell do they sell these things? Like, it's still the case. Like, just buy yourself no, an assault rifle. Why why. Not? <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. So, uh... Bonnie claims herself that she opened fire on the cops in the window as they arrived. Uh, while the boys were like downstairs, like uh, engaging the uh, cops like directly. However, Blanche claims not to have witnessed this. So it's kind of weird. So I, I I don't know if this means that like 
Bonnie was lying. What's her place in the gang? Like, born of bravado. And, like, fantasy. I mean, like, the stories that she wrote, the poetry that she wrote, like, she kind of just wanted to live this kind of, like, gangster life without actually doing anything and just imagined herself, like, joining in. Yeah. Maybe. So I feel like the romance and the danger of it or what not she wants to do. I mean, like... I don't know, like, would she have to, like, hold herself apart from it while kind of, like, living it at the same time? Or did she actually fire as she, as she claims? Was she the one that killed that cop? I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's pretty difficult to kind of, like, work out, really. I guess we won't know, will we? We'll never know, yeah. So, the gang managed to escape, but they left a large cache of weaponry, Buck's parole papers, and Bonnie's handwritten poetry and several undeveloped films. Oh, it's always the undeveloped films. Oh, yeah. So, the photos showed Clyde, Bonnie, and W.D. Jones posing and pointing their weapons at one another. So that includes the famous picture of Bonnie chomping on a cigar with a revolver in her hand, the one that made her a superstar. Um, Yeah, so at the time, criminals were kind of celebrities. It was like John Dillinger Mm -hmm. uh, with his matinee idol good looks and Pretty Boy Floyd, who had the best possible nickname out of all gangsters. (laughs) <laughs> but the uh, the Joplin photo introduced new criminal superstars with the most titillating trademark of all illicit sex <laughs> Clyde and Bonnie were wild young and undoubtedly slept together oh how dare they it's kind of crazy though I mean like it's another thing just ask the same well I guess it's not just America it's everywhere that like I mean obviously like kind of like Bonnie felt like felt trapped felt like there was like no hope for her so the only kind of like way that she could find, to, I mean, fame essentially was to do this. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Is but that I mean, what? Like, do you think that's what she wanted? Was fame? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think she wanted fame, which is excitement and fame. Yeah, and, excitement definitely. Yeah. And she wanted to like live, like she wanted to like live the stories that she like made up in her head. I think. Mm. And probably just wanted to like live and not have to yeah. like waitress. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. There was no way out of that kind of just like dead end life that she'd been born into. The American dream is not so much a dream after all. Uh, Okay. So it's now that the gang graduated onto bank robberies. Uh, (laughs) Of course, they bungled their first one when they tried to rob a bank in Lucerne, uh, Indiana, in May 1933, before finally successfully robbing the bank in... Okabena, Minnesota, uh, later in the month. That's quite far away from Indiana, isn't it? I was going to say, well, they're jumping from state to state here. Yeah. I guess that's the, the best way to do it, is to move yeah. around everywhere. Uh, so up until this point, the gang had been pretty ruthless, especially when killing the uh, young father for his car. Uh, mm-hmm. However, during this period, they frequently kidnapped police officers and robbery victims, later releasing them far from home, but with money and clothes for the journey back. That's weird. It's kind of strange. Maybe they... I don't I don't want to say, like, they got conscience because I didn't think that's true. But mm. maybe they thought, like, too many deaths would be attracting attention. Mm. I think it was another... Because they got famous in their uh, paper and the public were kind of on their side. I mean, like, it was during, like, the Depression. Yeah. And people were, like, angry at just, like, the establishment, I suppose. Mm. A bit like today. Um, so they were kind of just happy to see, like, all these criminals, like, fight, like fighting back against it especially if they're robbing banks and stuff the banks are kind of like yeah screw the lots banks. Of people thought yeah it screwed them all out of their money um so they probably did it with that in mind they probably wanted to keep the public on side 
Yeah. Um, and they did keep the public on side, along with the gla- pictures of glamorous Bonnie uh, in the paper. Um, seeing them some, some kind of like Robin Hood gang, I suppose, even though they never actually did give any money to the poor. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but really the reality was they didn't really hesitate to shoot anyone that got in their way, whether it was a police officer or an innocent civilian. So, um, They also mainly robbed small businesses and stole personal property from uh, regular citizens, especially cars during getaways. Um, while driving in a stolen car on the 1st of June 1933, Clyde did not see the warning signs that a bridge was under construction. So, taking the incomplete crossing at 70 miles an hour, he managed to flip the car into the dry ravine below, dousing Bonnie's leg with battery acid. (gasps) She received third-degree burns, and in some places, the bone was showing. Oh, no. Not the bone. Nasty. The burns were so severe that the muscles contracted and uh, caused her leg to draw up. So, WGD Jones later said the burns were so bad that no one believed she could survive. But survive she did. Not being able to walk, Bonnie had to hop or be carried by Clyde. They got some rudimentary medical care from a a nearby family farm. Then, just for the fun of it, then went on to kidnap Collinsworth County Sheriff George Corey and City Marshal Paul Hardy leaving the two of them handcuffed and tied with barbed wire to a tree outside Eric, Oklahoma. I don't why? know why they did that. Why? Yeah. For money? I mean, I'm not really sure. Like, just pissed off? I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I think they just came across them and just like, should we just mess with the cops a bit? Weird. Anyway, it doesn't seem they were committed a crime when that happened. Um, <clears throat> so meanwhile, or maybe they kind of like forced the like medical care out of the farm and then the cops turned up or something. I don't know. Okay, soon after this, Buck and W.D. Jones managed to bungle another robbery in Alma, Arkansas, and managed to murder town marshal Henry D. Humphrey. And so the gang had to flee again despite uh, Bonnie's mangled leg. So the gang's next hideout was Red Crown Tourist Court just south of uh, Platte City, Missouri. Uh, So this is kind of just like... Like a kind of like a motel complex or something. Mm-hmm. So they checked in in July 1933 and immediately drew attention to themselves. Blanche registered the party as three guests, but owner Neil Hauser could see five people getting out of the car. They backed their car into the garage, as he said, gangster style, as if ready to make a quick gathering. <laughs> so if you reverse into the garage, you're a gangster. Because, yeah, because then you can pull out quickly. <laughs> That's true, but like any time I see someone pulling into reversing into their drive now, I'll be like, oh, gangster. Oh, gangster. <laughs> um, Blanche also paid for their cabins with coins rather than notes. I'm not really sure why that would make someone a gangster. No. More like what? a child. That's just like, that's just like a child, not yeah, a gangster. Yeah, especially in America when you have $1 bills. Yeah. So it's not like here where, I don't know, weird. It's not like she's paying in gold doubloons, yeah. is she? Yeah. It's just a, like that's just like someone who hasn't got very much money. I think he's picking up on child. everything, and he's like, "Oh, I knew it all this whole time. I did because I saw them. They paid in coins, and that's just I knew it." <laughs> that is full on gangster behavior. They also apparently taped over the windows with newspaper. That's I mean, a bit weird. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, um, I'll give you that one. <laughs> apparently, Blanche's attire drew attention in the highly conservative area. Uh, apparently, she wore like um, riding. 
britches or something. I'm not sure why that was a why that was so bad, but apparently I guess because they're to, tight. I don't know. Yeah, raised some eyebrows. Um, I knew this whole time because she was wearing riding <laughs> britches, and I just. Uh, the last straw came when Clyde and James went to town to buy astropine sulfate to uh, treat Bonnie's leg. Mm. This led to the pharmacist calling Sheriff Holt Coffee. So wait, coffee, wait. Holt Coffee. Holt Coffee. Just oh, the name. Oh, another they name. Keep, they keep Such coming. A good name. I'm definitely gonna bust out like a like a 1930s name on a on a dog if I get one. <laughs> Um, or a cat so... a cat could rock a 1930s name yeah, though I definitely. actually really want to get a cat and call it Stanley Tucci because I really think that it's <laughs> such a good name for a cat that is only it's good so good right and be like come on Stanley Tucci I want to go to like Battersea Cat's home and be like look I want the cat that most looks like this man and let's give them a photograph of Stanley Tucci and be like give just whatever cat you have that looks like Stanley Tucci <laughs> I said to Matt, he can call him Stan. And that's fine. Anyway. <laughs> that's a good name for My a cat. admission of the week. Uh, so, Coffee had already been alerted by Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas law enforcement to watch for strangers seeking supplies. And so, the sheriff contacted Captain Baxter, who called for reinforcements from Kansas. This included an armoured car. Things are like getting real now. What? <laughs> they were like, say, there's this, they've got these five people. One of them in riding britches. They paid with coins, right? One of them's got a gammy leg. We need an yeah. armoured car. So they get an armoured car. <laughs> ta- essentially a tank. Let's get a tank in. <laughs> and so, with this force together, Sheriff Coffee led a group of <laughs> officers towards the cabins at 11pm armed with Thompson submachine guns. So the same submachine guns used by the U.S. Army during World War Two. Wow! Just I like, mean, it's the thirties. The, fi- the firepower. Machine guns for. <laughs> uh, so now the police's firepower might seem impressive, but unfortunately the gang still had their big ass Browning automatic rifles, so they were kind of outmatched. So foolishly, Coffee went straight up to the front door and knocked. Inevitably, he was met by a torrent of automatic rifle fire coming through the windows. And right through the door. Miraculously, neither Coffee nor any of his men were hit, and they all fell back behind their cars. Even the substantial fire from the Thompsons proved no match for the firepower of the gang. Upon approach of the armoured car, the gang switched to armour-piercing rounds. What? The armour-piercing arm rounds from the... Why do they have these? I, I don't why know. Why is people selling them these <laughs> weapons? Like, seriously, listen, America... Oh the the crazy thing is, like, this sort of stuff could still be bought now. It's crazy. <laughs> by, like, anyone. Yeah. Though, apparently, you're allowed to, like, it's it's legal to have a 50 caliber sniper rifle in this country, which is essentially an anti-tank rifle. Oh, in this country? Yeah, madness. It, but you have to have, like, much stricter licenses. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. In America. And you can't just, like, go and walk into a shop and buy one like you can yeah. in America. Um. But yeah, so driver George Highfield was hit in both knees and either the horn button or the horn itself was hit and it began blaring an unyielding wail. To add to the confusion, an officer back behind the cabins fired off a tear gas rocket that overshot considerably the cabins and came down across the road. The gas then blew back into the officer's eyes on the red crown side. He didn't check the wind. So with this little stroke of luck, Clyde bundled Bonnie into the getaway car along with Jones. 
However, as Buck and Blanche made their way towards the getaway vehicle, the police opened up. One bullet hit Buck in the temple and exited out of his forehead. Bad times. Bad times. Blanche and Clyde managed to bundle him into the car under a hail of gunfire and sped away, loosing one last volley of fire at the police. The police returned fire, shattering the car's window. This sent uh, slivers of shattered glass into the eyes of both Blanche and, uh, and Clyde. And a fragment of a bullet entered into Blanche's head right above the hairline. Up until now, the gang had taken the laws unawares, taking on local forces armed with just local kind of like police weaponry, like revolvers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when they were kind of like prepared, the gang still managed to outgun the cops. So as the car disappeared into the night, one posseman, patrolman, L.A. Ellis, tried to muster support for an expedition uh, of pursuit. But following the car li- carnage, Unsurprisingly, he got no takers. <laughs> Still, by this point, it was essentially impossible for the gang to hide. The next hideout the Barry Gun chose was Dexfield Park, an abandoned amusement park near Dexter, uh, Iowa, uh, on July the 24th. It's just like, they're just, just trying to have like, fun the Joker now. band, yeah. yeah they're just like the Joker band. gang from, yeah. uh, from Batman now. So, Buck was sometimes semi-conscious. Though he did manage to talk a little and even managed to eat, but his massive head wound and loss of blood were so severe that, uh, that Clyde and Jones dug a grave for him. Apparently they could see his brain through his forehead. Oh, what a... Uh, so local residents noticed their bloody bandages and officers quickly worked out that the campers were the Barrow Gang. Local police officers and approximately 100 spectators wanting a show <laughs> oh surrounded God. the group and the Barrow... And the gang soon came under fire. Clyde, Bonnie and Jones escaped on foot. However, Buck was shot again, this time in the back. He and his wife were captured by officers. Buck died of his head wound and pneumonia after surgery five days later at King's Daughters Hospital in Perry, Iowa, while Blanche was detained. After this, the gang continued to commit armed robbery, even restocking their arms supplied by robbing an armory in Platteville, Illinois, on August the 20th, acquiring three more Browning automatic rifles, what? handguns, and a large quantity of ammunition. So now they've got three of them. Well, they had one already, so they've got four of them now. They wanted to just get new ones. <laughs> we don't need to clean the other ones. What happened last time? <laughs> um, after this, the gang returned to Dallas on November 16th so Bonnie's family could help care for her considerable in- injuries. So they were all over the Yeah, how the is news. Bonnie not dead? She's got this horrible leg wound. Also, the, the family knew that they were like hardened criminals by this point. Like, yeah, it probably, was all over the news. Probably back then, well. yeah. But blood's thicker than... Blondes? <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> however, the return was short-lived. They narrowly escaped arrest on November the 22nd. In this incident, the pair had planned to meet another family member. But as they drove up to the meeting place, the police opened fire with machine guns and a bar of their own. They finally got a browning of their own. Still, the couple managed to escape. Both Bonnie and Clyde received bullets to their leg. Their legs just, like, can't catch a break, can it? Who is the other leg? Not having a good time with it. On November 28th, a Dallas grand jury delivered a murder indictment against both Bonnie and Clyde for the killing of Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis. So that was the police trap the gang accidentally worked into, like previously, ages right at the beginning. Yeah. So this was Bonnie's first warrant for murder. Though it's not actually when she committed. Clyde had killed the cop with a sawn-off shotgun. But they didn't know that, did they? No. Yeah. And Bonnie had remained in the car. 
So from now, it's from now that Bonnie's reputation as an actual killer started to grow. Uh, on January the 16th, 1934, Clyde launched his, finally managed to launch his uh, long planned assault on his former prison, busting out his prison mates, Raymond Hamilton and Henry Methvin. The raid generated negative press for the pair who had been seen as celebrities up to this point and it attracted the full power of the Texas state and federal government to the manhunt for Clyde uh, and Bonnie. Their days were numbered. <laughs> but still, their crimes continued. On Easter Sunday, April the 1st, 1934, the gang killed highway patrolman H.D. Murphy. An eyewitness claimed that it was Bonnie that had fired the fatal shots but Methvin later admitted to the killings himself. Though Cloyd is said to have just joined in just for fun later. So, like, Methvin had, like, shot the cop, and then Cloyd was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll get in on this too, and then just start opening up on the cop. However, witnesses say Bonnie, it was Bonnie that delivered the coup de grace, um, walking up to him, basically just shooting him in the head on the ground. Uh, however... Methvin claims that she had approached the officer wanting to help, uh, other and suggests that Bonnie slept through the whole thing in the backseat of the car. I mean, did she? I mean, if they were opening up on a cop, yeah, no like, one's sleeping are you sit through, through that. that. No, so maybe she's the, in the car. Yeah, just like looking out the back window. There's no way to know, really, but I just don't believe that she would a try and help and b yeah. be asleep. So these killings were recounted in exaggerated detail, turning the public further against the pair. All four Dallas daily papers seized on the story told by an eyewitness, a farmer, who claimed to have seen Bonnie laugh at the way Murphy's head bounced like a rubber ball on the ground as she shot him. So he said that she, she was the one who shot him. Of course the farmer did. So Bonnie was seen as just as culpable as Clyde, having pulled the trigger herself. Uh... The story also claims that the police found a cigar butt with tiny teeth marks because a woman that smokes a cigar yeah, is definitely a criminal. From the photo. <laughs> so public hostility increased five days later when uh, Clyde and Methvin murdered six-year-old Constable William Cow Campbell, a widower and a father near Commerce, Oklahoma. That's not cool. They then kidnapped oh. Commerce police, police Chief Percy Boyd Crossed the the state line into Kansas and then let him go, giving him a clean shirt, a few dollars, and a request from Bonnie to tell the war that she didn't smoke cigars. (laughs) So after this, like, killing spree, they just let let that police chief go. They were saying, yeah, get out of here, mate. Uh, Boyd identified both Clyde and Bonnie to the authorities. And so the Dallas Journal ran a cartoon on his editorial page showing an empty electric chair with a sign on it saying reserved adding the words Bonnie and Clyde. Ah. Now comes the end. On May 21st, four posse members from Texas were in Shreveport when they learned that Bonnie and Clyde were planning a visit to Bienville Parish that evening with Methvin. The full posse set on an ambush along the Louisiana State Highway 154. The posse were almost ready to give up when they heard the Ford V8 approaching at approximately 9.15am on May the 23rd. So, as the car approached, the lawman opened fire while the vehicle was still moving. Clyde was killed instantly by a headshot. The officers continued to fire about 130 rounds into the car, emptying their weapons. According to statements made by Hinton and Alcorn, each of us six officers had a shotgun and an automatic rifle and pistols. We opened up fire with the automatic rifles. They were emptied before the car even got to us. We then used shotguns. There was smoke coming from the car. 
It looked like it was on fire. After shooting the shotguns, we emptied the pistols into the car, which had passed us and run into a ditch about 50 yards down the road. It almost turned over. We kept shooting at the car even after it stopped. We weren't taking any chances. I mean, they've like killed all these police officers and they had armor guns and stuff. But at this point, they probably all dead, yo. Like... <laughs> That's... Fair enough. So the police officers were temporarily deafened by the onslaught. <laughs> <clears throat> oh. The official coroner's report listed 17 entrance wounds on Clyde's body and 26 on that of Bonnie's including several headshots on each, uh, and one that snapped uh, Clyde's spinal cord. Undertaker C.F. Boots Bailey had difficulty embalming the bodies because of all the bullet holes. Don't bother. Just (laughs) cremate them. (laughs) Word of the death quickly got round, and a crowd soon gathered at the spot. One woman cut off bloody locks of Bonnie's hair and pieces of her dress, which were subsequently sold as souvenirs. One man... Tried to cut off Clyde's trigger finger. Oh, uh, oh my god. <laughs> How did the police so they, not stop them? Well, they, uh, that's it. They had to get in. They tried, but the crowd, crowd was too big. Uh, one eager man had opened his pocket knife and was reaching into the car to cut off Clyde's left ear. Oh, no. They wanted to bang so, off that shit. <laughs> so Bonnie and Clyde wished to be buried uh, side by side, but... Bonnie's family would not allow it. So she was buried at Fish Trap Cemetery, although she was moved to uh, the new Crown Hill Cemetery in Dallas in 1945. More than 20,000 people attended Bonnie's funeral. What? And her, so many that her family had difficulty reaching her gravesite. Apparently, flowers came from everywhere, including some cards. Allegedly from Pretty Boy Floyd and John Dillinger. (laughs) (laughs) They all stick together. The largest floral tribute was sent by a group of Dallas City newsboys because the sudden death of Bonnie and Clyde had sold 500,000 newspapers in Dallas alone. Oh my God. (laughs) They loved it. They loved the story. Clyde's uh, private funeral was held at sunset on May 25th. He was buried... Uh, in Western Heights Cemetery in Dallas, next to his brother Marvin, the Barrow brothers share a single granite marker with the na- with their names on it, and an epitaph selected by Clyde, gone but not forgotten. Definitely true. <laughs> and there you go, Bonnie and Clyde, two of the uh, most famous criminals of all time. Speaking of crime, yep. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about. Macmillions. Have you heard of the documentary? Yes, I have. It's incredible. Oh my god, it's so good. So I'm watching Macmillions. For those of you yeah. who haven't seen it, it's only on Now TV for another like week or something. But I'm sure you can find it if you have like HBO or something. It's about the Monopoly scandal in the ninety in 90s America. So you know everyone knows the McDonald's Monopoly game, and back in the 90s, somebody worked out that some of these people who were winning the millions were related and called the FBI. And there's this amazing FBI agent. Yeah, that's yeah. he's the star of the show. <laughs> he's he's amazing. His name's Doug. I can't remember his surname. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Doug. And he was like this newbie FBI agent and was like, I'm going to investigate this. Right, it turns out, it's totally correct, there's been a scam going on where somebody somehow is getting the like really high ticket 
stickers from the Monopoly game and selling them through this like gangster ring. Um, and this guy, Doug, is I don't know how this guy is an FBI agent, but he's a fucking legend. And it's <laughs> he's just, like a child, it's he's a crazy so story, basically. And everyone should go and watch McMillions because not only is it like an incredible true crime, like real story. But this guy needs like his own FBI yeah. show where he just like does cool FBI agent shit. But yeah, it's just mad, isn't it? Like it just gets nuttier and nuttier. It gets as it crazier goes along. and crazier. Like there's a car crash and there's like this person wants to marry like this person and then <laughs> yeah, like people they choose have to like yeah, all be on like video and. Uh, there's like people on the show who were chosen to like take part in the scam who won like a million dollars but in the end it actually ruined their lives mm. because they were like embroiled in this like gangster ring and the, de- and the end is depressing like uh oh i, I haven't, haven't seen the end yet. i haven't seen the end okay, no, then. not, not the end but then. i have i'm up to like nearly i think we've got two episodes left so yeah go and watch McMillions and let us do what you think about it and <laughs> yeah also recommend any other true crime shows that you've seen or history shows that you've seen that you want to like you know shout out because we're both big true crime fans yeah hit us up on twitter with that you know the, the return of martin gear right no martin no, no. gear was like this guy back in france in a long i'm gonna go with a long time ago <laughs> like medieval okay then um or maybe a bit past that and yeah he like went off he like disappeared and then like i don't know 20 10 20 years later or something first of all he couldn't get his wife pregnant that was one thing yeah then he disappeared and everyone was like is he dead like what's going on but like and then he returns like 10 20 years later or maybe it was five years later or something yeah i'm getting this all wrong but it's the basic premise and he's like hey it's me martin Gare." and everyone in the town is like you don't really look like martin Gare." And his wife's like, all right, well, let's bang and see if we can like have a kid. And he gets her pregnant. And then she's like, yeah. hmm, that's a bit weird, but I'm going with it. And he knows all this stuff. Like, hey, do you remember that time that we did this? But then the town's like, no, I really don't think you're mine, girl. And they like put him on trial for like stealing the identity of mine, girl. Right. But how did he get that knowledge? That he well, just, like... some people were like, oh, maybe he was in the war. Because I think maybe Walton Gare went to a war. Because there was a war. Okay, to There's always a war. Yeah. Um, and they like became friends and he told them all the stuff. And then when the war was over, Martin Gare got killed. And then this guy like stole his identity and came back. Because he was like, well, he's got a wife oh, and man. a house just... and stuff. He, oh, I'm in Tanzaria. Just like you imagine if you disappeared, then like some other like bona fide Asian came back and was like, <laughs> hey, it's Dan, let's start the podcast again. I think I'd recognize. I think I'd like to think that I'd recognize you if you were like a little bit different. Just principal skinned me. Like how, uh, yeah, how similar, exactly, how similar <laughs> would you have to be? You'd have to be pretty damn similar for me to not think it was someone different. Especially if like, you know, that's your wife, you know, like, like Matt's out right now. But if he came back and he was like, I don't know. <laughs> just a different person. A different guy. I wouldn't be like, okay, let's just go with it. Yeah. Sure. Like, yeah, it seems <laughs> legit. Works. I mean, like a foot shorter, but whatever. <laughs> Um, what are you making for dinner? I'm making kung pao chicken. Kung pao chicken. I am making just some sort of pasta, but I'm about to go and jar up my slow-cooked apple and onion chutney. Very nice. I yes. love chutney. 
I need to get get on that yeah, at some point. Yeah, it's so good. And basically, um, we're going on a walking holiday in a couple of weeks, just for the weekend. Oh, yeah, nice. So I thought I'd make some chutney so we can eat it with the cheese and bread, home-baked bread. I mean, I need to try and book something. I'm definitely going to try. I'm going to book my birthday off and definitely do Tank Museum again, I think. Tank Museum. <laughs> tank, tank, tanks. I, I just... <laughs> I love tanks. What can I say? I don't know why. I have done since I was a kid. So when my male friends were younger, yeah, they used to ask this question to everyone. Okay, ready? Yeah. What would you rather have? £10,000 or a tank that costs £10,000? Uh, a tank. And every single boy would say a tank. Every but single one. It would one. have to be like... It would have to be like a World War Two tank. Like I don't want like any modern rubbish. No, what? you can buy tanks though. Like oh, I'm sure you expensive. can. You can't. The thing is, you can buy them, but you can't drive them or something. Yeah. Um. So I don't know where I'd like put a tank. <laughs> I would. I was tempted to to buy one. Is where would not? you put it? You They're live in a high rise flat. <laughs> They're actually not that pricey. So I was like, mm, I could buy. I could buy a car. I could buy a tank. I think I might buy a tank. <laughs> <laughs> but what? What I would say was, well, I'd like £5,000 and a £5,000 tank. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that? Can we split the cost? I don't think so. They were like, you can't do that. And also, a tank does not cost £10,000. Like, it definitely costs more than that. I wonder if you would be allowed to... If I just got like a small one, if I just got like a Type 95 Japanese like light tank, cargo, could I drive that? Can sorry, I pre-apologise to Charlotte for putting this in your head? <laughs> I'm sorry that I put this in your head. He's not buying a tank. If you're not allowed it's to okay. buy an air conditioning system, you're not allowed <laughs> to buy a tank. This idea was already in my but you have re-sparked it. <laughs> well, it lay dormant in my head and Dan's now it's off to research tanks now. <laughs> and I'm gonna go and make chutney. So that is how our relationship works. <laughs> um and- before we head off, we should tell people to subscribe. Wherever you listen to this. <laughs> uh, On all the places that you could, you've ever listened. Yeah, Spotify, Apple, Google, etc. Um, and you should follow us on social media. At uh, Have I Ever Pod. <laughs> you always get it wrong. At Have You Ever Pod. <laughs> That's it. That's that one. <laughs> um, yes. And thank you very much for listening and tell all your friends about us if you like learning about history. Bye! Bye.